Well, it's the second message in a series called The Thinker. And uh, if you weren't here for the first one, which was Wednesday night, uh, I would strongly urge you to go online and catch it because it's kind of foundational. And what I'll be doing all through the series is just kind of building on that as we go on. Uh, the series is different in that we're attempting to just take uh, our skills of observation and reasoning and take a look at life and try to follow the path, what would we conclude? If we set the Bible aside and we just used our... For some reason, the lights feel really, really bright. Did you guys heat them up a little bit? I mean, it's okay it's, if, if they're the same as they were. Um, if we just used our powers of observation and reason, what conclusions about life would we come to? Now, the first night, we came to the conclusion that it's far more reasonable to believe that someone with great intelligence created everything instead of everything came from nothing for no reason. We looked at some scientific evidences. We looked at a number of other things. And, and then we started looking inside ourselves for some clues. And we found that some of these, these capacities that we have for pleasure and enjoyment and, you know, we can hear someone's story and our heart is warm. We see a beautiful sunset. Where do these things come from? Why do we enjoy this feeling of affection and warmth and love so much? And, and it tells us that if we feel these things, well, then this being, this creator must feel these things and have these capacities also only on a much higher scale. In fact, we came out just by using reason and just by using observation, we came out with an image of the Creator that was nothing short of being like Jesus Christ because we concluded that if we can imagine a human being that's nice and kind and good and consistent and gentle and loving and sacrificial, if we can imagine a human being like that, and we've even known some that are pretty close to that, it just makes sense that the Creator would be a step higher yet. So with, with just pure reason and observation, we came to the conclusion that it's far more reasonable for thinking people to believe in a creator and even in a Christ-like creator than to believe in nothing. Today we want to ask a question, well, what kind of things would such a being likely do? I mean, if, if you had this being, what kind of things would the being likely do? Now, you might be saying, well, it's kind of obvious, you know, you talked in the first message about creating everything, so that's some things that the being would likely do. But it was one portion of scripture that I used uh, last week, and I'm actually going to use it all through this series. And so let me, let me turn you to that. It says, because what can be known about God is, what does it say? It's plain to them. In other words, God is saying they can't miss it. And he's talking about all humanity. He's talking about human beings that have never touched a Bible. Okay? Because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has what? Made it plain to them. We look at the, the galaxies, we look at DNA, we, we look at all these things in the first message. Let's go on. For since the creation of the world, his, what kind of attributes? Invisible attributes. His eternal power and divine nature have been, what? Clearly, clearly seen. Invisible attributes, <clears throat> clearly seen. It sounds kind of contradictory, but it's really not. How do we see, how can we clearly see his invisible attributes? Because they are understood through what has been, what does it say? Made. So creation. Like I said, in the first message, we looked at, you know, way into the galaxies. You know, 200 billion stars in each galaxy, 200 billion galaxies. And then we looked into DNA. Three billion pieces of scripting in a single cell of DNA. So we know his invisible power and attributes by what has been made. So what might a being like this be interested in doing? 
Could there be something that before the creation, before he created anything, could there be something extremely important that this being did that we need to really have a good handle on for us to develop and to grow and to experience the life that God intended us to experience? Um, way back in 1968, uh, I was a uh, apprentice carpenter. <laughs> 1968, I was 18 years old. And I actually did the carpentry thing for 17 years. And so I was a city kid, man. I'd never picked up a hammer in my life. I hated the thought of building anything for anyone. I just needed a job. And so there I was, an apprentice carpenter. I'll never forget the first day I went out on this job. It was working for this company called A.P. Noman. The building was just in a big mud pit. You know, if you picture office buildings, there's usually three stories of garages below ground level. Well, we were at the bottom of the bottom. It was mud everywhere. And I'm watching these guys move around like ants. It seemed like there must have been 50 or more guys. Material is swinging overhead. I'd never experienced anything like it in my life. I'm watching all these guys busy doing different things. I'm clueless. It just looked to me like utter chaos. And so I'm wondering, how does this work? You've got to understand, I, I really, truly didn't understand anything about building or construction at all. Zero. Had no interest in it. Didn't even want to be there. Just needed a job. So then all of a sudden I see this one guy. We were all wearing like green or blue hard hats. I don't remember what the color was then. But all of a sudden I see this one guy and he's walking kind of fast. And everybody's got, you know, their eyes on this guy. There's Marcu, there's Marcu. Tighten up, tighten up. Well, this was the superintendent. His name was Denny Marcu. And under his arm was this enormous roll. And I'm like, I don't really know what it was, but I found out what it was. How many know what he had under his arm, the enormous roll? Can I see your hands? Somebody shout it out blueprints in these amazing blueprints even though we're down in a mud hole just starting this building in these blueprints he had every single detail right down to the last thing that would ever go into this building every piece of trim everything every piece of plumbing every bit of electric it was all there someone a set of architects maybe one architect completely planned this building out every facet of it before any man ever stepped on that site, before any material was ever ordered, there was a plan. Wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't it make sense that this creative being, before he created anything, would have a plan, a comprehensive plan, uh, a certain plan, a plan that would be wonderful for you and I to get a peek at, to know in, in advance? That would be an important thing. This guy named Daniel Gilbert, I've quoted him several times. He's a Harvard psychologist and researcher. You can see him in some TV commercials too. And in writing a book, he says the first sentence has to be, you know, this. It's, you begin with eight words. The human is the only animal that, and then he completes it by saying this, thinks about the future. Your dog doesn't think about the future. <laughs> your cat doesn't think about the future. Even your chimpanzee does not think about the future, and certainly your cows do not. But we think about the future. And to think about the future is a form of planning. Now, you and I don't think much about planning because we eat it and drink it and breathe it. You planned last night to be here this morning. You planned to get dressed and to get into your car and so forth. We, we plan all the time. Before we take any action, we have a plan. Maybe not completely thought out but we have a plan. So wouldn't it make sense that this creative being who is so much more sophisticated than us that he too would have a plan? Consistent with that, listen to a couple verses. 
Psalm 33, 11, it says, but the plans, notice he's got plans, the plans of the Lord stand firm for how long? Forever. If we can figure out what his plan is, it's going to happen. It's certain. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God is working out his plan, the purposes of his heart, in every single generation of human beings that's ever been on the planet. Let's go into the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 14, verse 24. It says, the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have, what is the word? Planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. So this creator, before he created anything or any intelligences like himself at all, he had a plan. He thought through things. So the question becomes, well, what kind of a plan might we expect that a being like this would have? And so to get our thoughts going in this direction, what kind of plans do we see or do we observe highly developed um, beings have? If we look at human beings being the most highly developed, what kind of plans do we have? And we talked about, you know, you plan to be here this morning. You plan to eat some food later on today. You plan to go to sleep and so on. But if you look at most human plans, and this is not a knock. This is just because of who we are, the kind of beings, the kind of vulnerable, the kind of temporal beings we are. Our plans tend to be, first of all, selfish. You say, Randy, that's not always true. I know, I know. But here's what I mean. The thing that's true about you and the thing that's true about me and every human being, the first thing that we must always be concerned about, it's not like it's in the front of our heads, but we always have to be concerned about it, is staying alive. We have, to, we have to figure out how am I going to continue to exist. I'm vulnerable. I know I'm going to die. I just don't know when I'm going to die. So in between, I'm going to do things that will enable me to live as long as possible. That's always in the back of our minds. That tends to make us selfish. The other thing that happens is that since we know we're only here for a short time and we don't know when it's going to end, we tend to be highly tempted to grab onto anything that looks immediately pleasurable or enjoyable, even though we later on find out that it's often short-sighted. We grab at things, we experiment with things because we're, we're just not sure how long we're going to be here, and so we want to have as much fun, as much pleasure, as much happiness as we can. Short-sighted. So our... our our plans tend to be selfish, they tend to be short-sighted, and they're uncertain. You know, we, we hear people today talk about, man, you got to pursue your dream. Don't let anybody kill your dreams. Uh, <laughs> follow your passion, you know, we hear often, again and again. And that's okay to a point, but the truth is, you know and I know, or at least you should know, is that pursuing your dream or pursuing your passion does not mean that you will in fact realize your dream or your passion and anybody that tells you if you just pursue it it will happen they're just not being honest it's not true and here's the other side many people realize their dream realize their passion only to find out that once again it was short-sighted it didn't turn out to be the fulfilling the ultimate fulfilling thing that we thought it would be. Now, now, this again, it's not a knock on us. We're temporal. We're finite. We're not eternal. We see a tiny slice of the perspective of potentials and possibilities in life. And so we make our decisions and our plans based on our small, finite perspective. And it tends to be selfish and short-sighted and uncertain. But what about a being that is, first of all, eternal whose perspective is perfect, entire, wouldn't we expect that being's plans to be a little more comprehensive, a little more certain? So here's what, what I suggest, that this being, first of all, 
This being's plans would be unselfish because this being has eternally existed, therefore is invulnerable, has no needs, therefore it's, it's not always concerned about, like ourselves, keeping alive or gaining the little bit of pleasure we can in our short lives. It would be farsighted because this is a being that's outside of time, has an eternal perspective, and whatever this being's plans are, nothing, nothing, or no one can ever thwart them or stop them it's impossible this being has all power so when we think these kind of thoughts we might ask ourselves well what what might be some of the plans that a being like this might have well, let's think a little bit about what people do you know people uh they they go through life you know they get out of school and they they suddenly find that boy i have this relational drive i want to be connected with somebody usually we marry we want to be married to somebody and after a short time of being married usually not always but generally the couple decides they're going to have a child now now why do we have a child now not, i don't need the mechanics so i don't mean that at all <laughs> but but why do we have a child i'm I, and i know sometimes children just come along that weren't planned exactly. But, but when we're thinking and we're planning, why do we have the child? Well, in our better moments and our better motives, we have experienced life. And, and we've, we've loved the journey, both the ups and the downs. And, and we know what it's like to be fully human and fully alive. And so we want, we want to give this gift to someone else. We want to bring someone else into life. We want them to be able to feel what we have felt and do the things we have done and just experience. There is no greater gift than we can give than to give life to somebody. Do you know that, that angels, when God created angels, they are not able to procreate humans alone have been given this ability and, and so if we feel this way wouldn't it make sense that this powerful intelligent being would also want to bring forth beings that can experience life you got to catch this that can experience life on the same level that he himself does i love my dog but my dog can't experience life on the level that i can you know, I can be moved by a sunset, like I say, or a good story or a good movie. Something my dog cannot. So wouldn't it make sense that this being would want to create beings that can experience the riches and the fullness of life that he himself does? But because he's finite and perfect in knowledge, or infinite and perfect in knowledge, he would also know that these beings with free will, he's free, they would have to be free, that they would mismanage free will. And this would bring pain and trouble and sorrow and disease and death and all these things. He would know this. He would know every contingency in advance. He would know exactly what it was going to take to bring these beings into existence and then to try to bring them to a place of fullness of life that he himself enjoys. He would know that the only way life works is his way. That's why it's called rightness or righteousness. And that these beings, if they were ever going to experience the fullness of life, they would have to learn, they would have to, let me go further, they would have to choose, like him, to always do the thing that is right. Because you can't have harmony, you can't have everlasting peace, you can't have the highest joy unless you are a being that is doing what is right. So he would know that he'd have to come up with a, a plan 
where he could develop these beings, where he could get them to freely choose, get this, to freely choose his way, his will, because it's the only way that life can work. They'll never experience the highest happiness unless they choose his way and his will. But how could he get them to choose his way and will? Well, he could use force, but that wouldn't be very satisfactory. He could use fear. He could threaten us, but that's not very satisfactory. So there's only one way that he can get us to embrace his way and his will. And that's by winning our faith or our trust. Because once you win my trust, now I want to follow you. I want to know what it is you want me to learn, how you want me to change my life. I'm doing this from the inside out. I'm fulfilled. I'm happy with it. So he knew that he would have to ultimately reveal himself in such a way that it would, beyond, it would be beyond any doubt of his trustworthiness. He would have to prove, this almighty being would have to prove, prove that he is safe, that he's gentle, that he's trustworthy more. He'd have to prove that he is sacrificially devoted to those that he creates. And he knew that would mean Everything that has taken place in history since then, of course, surrounding his revelation of himself in Christ. He knew all these things. He knew everything that was going to happen. He knew how long he would have to wait to gain the trust of those that would finally be brought to trust in him and to develop what we'll call later on his, kind of his forever family. All these things he knew in advance. He had made all the plans, all the contingencies. He, he puts us in various life contexts, relational contexts, vocational contexts. He puts us in all kinds of circumstances in life. Sometimes they're harsh. Sometimes it's injustice. Sometimes it's uh, deprivation. Sometimes it's trials of various sorts. All these things are character development contexts. And he can work through all of those to bring us to that place of maturity and fullness of life, the capacity to experience life like he himself does. All that, all that was in his plan before anything was spoken into existence. Wouldn't that just make sense? A being like that wouldn't start anything that he didn't already know how it was going to finish. Listen to some verses that just reinforce this now. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 6, it says, What is man that you think of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a, what, a little lower than the who? Angels. angels. We're not as powerful as angels now. You made him a little lower than the angels, but for how long? Keep that in mind. You're only going to be lower than the angels for a little while. Your destiny is to be above the angels, to have more power than the angels ultimately. A little while. You crowned him with glory and honor. You put all things under his control. We don't see all things under our control yet. Let's go on. Maybe it explains it. At present, we do not yet see all things under his control, meaning our control, humanity's control. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. He became like us so that we could become like him. A little lower than the angels for how long? A little while. A little while. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by God's grace, he would experience death on behalf of everyone. Here's the creator of the universe willingly sacrificing himself to show to each and every human being that God can be trusted, that he loves us, that he's totally devoted to our good. But that little while, that, keep that away, tuck that away, because you know, right now is not, is not the plan's fulfillment time. Uh, some of us are struggling with all kinds of things in life. And you've got to remind yourself, but... 
you haven't yet experienced that place where God wants to bring you. It's now a little while time. So you might have to suffer for a little while. You might have to go through some hardships and some circumstances that you don't want. But it's only for a little while. For a little while. Let's go and look at another verse. In the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God told us the secret of what he wanted to do. This is his plan. This is his purpose. It is this. In loving thought, he planned long ago to send Christ into the world. God was going to reveal himself comprehensively in Christ so as to win the trust of all humanity and as many angels as can be one as well. It goes on. The plan was for Christ to gather us all together at the right time. If we're in heaven, that would be the angelic communities, or still on earth, he will bring us together and will be head or leader over us all. That's his ultimate plan, is to bring us into unity with Christ. In chapter 3, it adds one more piece to this. It says, God did this according to his, what kind of purpose? Eternal before anything was created, he had this plan, this purpose, that he was going to bring beings into existence that could experience life on the level that he himself does and that he would try to nurture and develop them so that they would embrace his way of life so that they could, in fact, experience that high life and that they could live in harmony forever and ever and ever. He purposed it from the start. And then it goes on to say, which he achieved through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's the certainty part. This is going to happen. God's plan is not something that's uncertain like some of our plans and some of our dreams. It's something that's certain. Let me add you one more piece to this. In chapter uh, 8 of Romans, it says, And God knew from when? The beginning. beginning Before he created anything. He knew from the beginning who would what? Put their trust in him. You see, God cannot lead anyone into the highest life that he himself experiences unless we're willing to trust him. And trust then brings obedience. God can't bring us to the high level of life that he wants to bring us unless we're willing to live his way. That requires trust. And God looked down through the tunnel of time before he created anybody or anything. He knew that one-third of the angels never would uh, believe in him, never would trust him, and would reject him. He knew that multitudes of humans would also do the same, but he knew that some would. Is your name in that? Are you one that has put your trust in him? Notice it doesn't say trust in a formula of some sort. You know, like, oh, just believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and now you have eternal life. Some people think that all God wants to do is find some kind of a judicial line that would allow him to transport people from earth to heaven. That's nonsensical. His plan is bigger and better than that. And it requires of necessity beings to trust him because I don't want to follow somebody unless they've won my trust, nor do you. I can't develop authentically if fear or force are involved in my development. It's only when you've won my confidence, my trust, that then I can develop. I'm doing what I want to do because I know you and I trust you. God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in him, so he chose them and made them to be like his son. This is transformation. Uh, It's saying that he destined that we would experience the same kind of quality of character of Christ himself. Christ was first. And all those who belong to God are his brothers. Verse 28. Now, I deliberately put these in reverse order because we usually read this one first. It says, we know that God makes all things work together for good of those who what? Who love him. God causes all things to work together for good for those, not for everybody, but for those who love him and are chosen to be a part of his plan. We read earlier in verse 29, the chosen are those that have put their trust in him. 
And the way that he's working for good is he's working to help us grow to develop to become more like Christ. Because that's our highest good. You can have everything this world offers and still be a miserable human being. Joy is the result of aligning ourselves with the image of the God that created us. And then joy comes, and that's the only way that it possibly can. We did a series in here a while back called The Big Picture because I was concerned that so many times people sit in churches year after year, decade after decade, and all they get are slices of what God's up to. So I wanted people to to see the the cover of the, the puzzle box, so to speak. So here's a statement that we came out with in that series. God's big plan is the development of an eternal family of Christ-like beings united in loving devotion to Christ and to one another. That's big. And that means that every step in our journey matters. It matters that we can develop and grow in all kinds of circumstances, any kind of circumstance, if we've aligned our purpose with God's purpose. Now, sometimes in life it feels like God's plan is non-existent. It feels like life is chaotic. It feels like evil is triumphant. But it's not the case. But let me just take you into a situation that uh, would certainly make one feel this way. Back in uh, December the 3rd of 2015, San Bernardino, California, uh, a husband and a wife who had worked at this certain facility uh, came to work on that Wednesday but they didn't come to work in their normal working clothes. The husband and the wife were jihadis. They came to a place of work where they had worked to friends, fellow co-workers and friends that they had even had parties together with, but they came in full battle gear and they started killing people left and right. They killed 14 people, they injured 24 others. Now in the process of this, there was a young girl, her name was Denise Peraza, I think I have a picture. Denise Peraza, And sitting beside her was this man, Shannon Johnson. When the shooting broke out, they hit the floor. They tried to hide it behind a chair, but, you know, a chair doesn't stop a bullet. And so Shannon Johnson grabbed Denise, pulled her close as he could with his left arm, and put his body in front of hers. And he said, I got you. And the bullets continued on 60 rounds. And they hit Shannon but they didn't penetrate through to hit Denise. He died. She lived. She said she'll never forget the words. I got you. Now, the plan of God is absolutely going to come. Nothing can stop it. No evil, no chaos, no corruption, no greedy, bullying people or societies or governments or philosophies. Nothing's going to stop it. Jesus looked pretty bad and defeated on Friday when they beat him up, when they mocked him, when they stripped his clothes, when they ripped the whiskers out of his face and they dragged him away to be crucified. He looked pretty beaten. His disciples were in utter chaos, heartbroken, scared to death, confused. But Jesus had consistently told them for three and a half years he would be killed that way, but he also said he would rise again. And so essentially Jesus was telling them, I got this. And when they put those nails in his hands and his feet, it was okay. He was saying, I got you. I got you. You're okay. And some of you, if you could just embrace the plan of God and know that nothing can stop it for you, you would understand that even though you feel like in your life you're two steps forward and three steps back, Jesus is there saying, it's okay, I got you. 
you're, you're going to get there. You're going to grow. You're going to develop. Some of you, you struggle with habits and addictions, and you feel like you just want to give up. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's going to happen. This plan is going to, going to be fulfilled. I got you. Some of you, you're going through the worst time physically or mentally or emotionally in your life. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's vocationally. And you feel like everything is coming undone. And Jesus is saying, it's just for a little while. Remember we read that earlier? It's just for a little while. I got you. My plan for you is still in effect. Embrace it. Trust it. Cling to me. I got you. It's just for a little while. Now, I don't know. I don't know what you may be going through. I do know enough about human life to know that we're all going through something. And it could be that you're, you're going through one of those times in your life where it took everything in your power just to come into this place today. And you've got plenty of heartache, maybe plenty of heartbreak. Maybe you're confused and you feel lonely and you feel disconnected and attached. You wonder if you'll ever feel love, ever feel safe, ever feel accepted, ever feel like you have any worth, ever feel like anything about you is going to matter. And I just want you to know, Jesus is here saying, I got a plan for you. It's going to happen. I got you. Will you bear with me? We read earlier where it said that it's just for a little while. Jesus was made lower than the angels just for a little while. We are lower than the angels just for a little while. Your plans, your hurts, your heartbreak, that thing that you feel like, I'm never going to get past this. Can you lift your voices without feeling too foolish and just shout out, it's just for a little while. Can we do that? Let's go. It's just for a little while. Your heartbreak, your heartbreak, your chaos and your confusion, it's just what? Because Jesus has got you if you've got him. And if you've trusted him, he will never leave you. And never forsake you. We're going to have communion in a minute. Communion was a bit of a nightmare. It celebrated the death of Jesus, but he turned it in to a triumph and a celebration. And so it will be for us in just a moment. In the uh, first service today, the um, crew, I suppose, thought they were helping me. So they had the little bits of bread nice and wrapped up in this for me. Well, I didn't know. I picked it up. And I went like that. And I thought... Man, if there's any Catholics here, this is the most horrifying thing they've ever seen. The body of Jesus is flying all over the place. <laughs> but we that follow God's word know better, right? These are just symbols. And he said, we're just going to use these so that they're going to trigger our memory. Let's let that happen. Jesus had been with his disciples for three and a half years. Finally, they had hope. The <sighs> the cruelty and the insanity that had dominated the human race, the disease, the death, the hatred, it, it all seemed to be powerless when Jesus was there. And then that Friday, he has to break the news. They're all going to betray. He says, you're all going to betray me. You're all going to run. Peter, you're going to deny you knew me three times. No, 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 I won't, Lord. No, it's going to happen. They're going to take me. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. But don't worry, guys. I'm going to go before you to Galilee. I'm going to rise again. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. They can't take it in. And then it happens on Friday, just like he says. And some of you, it might be Friday in your life when all your dreams, they just seem forever shredded. 
And it seems like everything dark and evil is working and everything that's right in your life is not. And some of you, you might feel like Peter and those disciples, you might be struggling with a feeling of unresolved guilt and unresolved shame that no matter how many times you confess it, you cannot escape the agony of it. And Jesus is here saying to you, it's just for a little while. I got this. I got this. I went to the cross with full recognition of who you are, what you are, and I love you. And if you trust me, it's going to be okay. It's only going to be for a little while. You will have the victory, the peace you long for, the everlasting eternal love that your heart has always ached for, the world where everybody's safe all the time. It's coming. This world is just for a little while. Your pain is just for a little while. Your failure is just for a little while. I got this. I got you. Jesus wanted these little symbols, little bits of bread, to remind us that he literally loved us to death and that he has us if we've trusted him. Paul expressed it this way. <laughs> I'm in the wrong passage. <laughs> there we go. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. These are just to trigger our memory. Nothing magical happens. We're not cannibals. We're not eating the body of Jesus or anything like that. But it's to help us remember that what looked like the worst turned out to be the best. It goes on. It says, In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're reminded that Jesus, like Shannon Johnson, took the bullet, took the death, took the pain for us. And assures us that the plan of God for you and for humanity, it's going to come. This is in the, the little while. But Jesus has you if you've trusted him. So let's remember our place in him as we take this together. It says he took the cup and it represented his shed blood and reminds us that he literally loves us to death and he'll certainly love us and stay faithful for us, with us through life. Let's remember together. can't see your hands, lights are all on my face, but if you've got some struggles, you've got some pain, you've got some fear and some doubts, I wonder if I could get you to just raise your voices one more time as a step of faith and say, it's only for a little while. We do that. It's only for a little while. Jesus has got you. He does. Let's pray. Lord, our heart's desire, it is, it is for your kingdom to come.
and your will to finally be done on this broken earth. It's in your name we open our hearts and our lives and we pray, Lord Jesus, amen.